I'm not injured, but uh, there was a time when I became very familiar with crutches. I was about eight years old, and my brother and friend went down to a nearby uh, creek, uh, about a half mile from our house. We rode our bikes there, and and uh, after we had played around in the water, and we got back on our bikes and headed back, and, and like uh, a lot of older brothers like to do, they want to try to get away from younger brother, and so he went from one side of the road and then back to the other side and, and back and forth, and after a while, I got kind of tired of that because I knew he was trying to lose me, so I just went back over to the one side, and, and as I started to go back over, a station wagon came around the corner and hit me, and... Uh, I don't remember a whole lot about that incident. My brother said later that I was knocked about 15 feet up in the air and almost went over the bridge because we were swimming underneath the bridge. And if I would have went over that bridge, I would have fell about 20, 30 feet and hit some rocks below and probably would not be here today. But by the grace of God, I'm here. And the last thing I do remember is I remember I was in the station wagon. I was in the front seat and I remember looking down at my leg and it was about this big. It was a clean break. And then they took me to the hospital and they put a cast up over my knee and I became very familiar with crutches uh, for the next several months. And they became my support system and I had to lean on them and everywhere I went and and uh, after about a month, they, they changed the cast and put on another cast. And, and, you know, you can't slow an eight-year-old down. A broken leg isn't going to slow him down. Not when you've got some crutches. You can move around. And so they put a little peg underneath uh, my, my cast. And so I had a, a walking cast. And, and so those crutches became an extension of uh, who I was and being able to get around. And, man, I could move around just as fast sometimes as my brother's keeping up with him. Well, crutches are designed as a support a support system. Well, we have other support systems, don't we? We have family support systems. We have emotional and psychological support systems. And they serve a purpose. Often crutches are looked at negatively when we begin to think of them in those terms. As we look at David today in 1 Samuel chapter 18, we're going to see God that, that systematically begins to remove the crutches from David's life. He no longer can rely on his mentor and friend. He can't go to his wife. He, he can't go to his friend, Jonathan. He can't go to his priest. God systematically begins to remove these things from his life. And his relationship with King Saul is broken and will never be healed. You know, it's not unlike God at some point in our life. To remove emotional and social and, and psychological, even spiritual crutches in our life. Why does he do that? When we're hit head on with head, life's challenges, sometimes God allows those crutches to be removed so that we rely on him and be in a place of total dependence upon him. So that we might experience his grace and love. See, if we believe that God is a sovereign, loving God, if we believe that he is our heavenly father, if we believe that we are his children and that he loves us, then I believe that sometimes God allows things to play out in such a manner that I will come to that place of total dependence upon him. Have you ever been to that place? Ever been to that place of total dependence? I believe that God will allow those crutches to be removed in our life. So that I, his child, 
will cling to nothing but him and him alone. I want you to listen to the words of Isaiah as the Lord speaks to Israel and as it relates to God's character and his faithfulness. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on the wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Now, you might be familiar with that verse. You've heard it before. But have you internalized it? Look what Isaiah 41.10 says. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What I want you to notice there in that passage is the use of I am. The use of the personal pronouns. God wants to be involved in our life and be able to remove every support system but himself. I have three big ideas. And the first big idea I see in verses 1 through 9 is that we need to cultivate godly habits now as we look at the life of David. God has his own healing method in his own time. And let's observe how God does that in the life of David. The crisis comes on the heel of a very mighty victory that David had experienced. If you just read the chapter before, you read about a giant slayer. You read about David who comes up against Goliath when no one else is willing to step forward because of the intimidation of Goliath, the Philistine. But on the way home, as they near the city, the women were not singing and dancing. Oh, how great thou art, King Saul. That's not what they're saying. The scripture says that they are singing. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And Saul turns from seeing David as the great deliverer used by the Lord to public enemy. Number one. Maybe Saul begins to think, who does this little pebble thrower think he is? David has done nothing wrong, but expressed his desire to honor his God. Have you ever been in a situation where you're doing everything right? Minding your own business, seeking just to honor the Lord and your motives and your intentions are misunderstood? That's what we see here. The scripture says in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 8 and 9, Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands. He thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time onward, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. What a foolish man. Instead of celebrating the deliverance and the provision of God, He's upset because they're not worshiping him. And so he keeps a jealous eye on David. Have you ever known anyone who just couldn't handle not being the center of attention? And so since they can't be the center of attention, what do they do? They manipulate circumstance and destroy the party for everyone because they aren't being worshipped. Because they're not the center of attention. It relates to their own deep insecurity as an individual and as a leader in Saul's case. And that's what we see here in Saul. 
Well, what is the point here I see in this as I look in verses one to five, particularly, is that the success success is the real giant that we have to slay sometimes. How do you handle success? Killing a giant like Goliath and, and finding a, a soulmate and a friend in Jonathan seems to be all in a day's work. In verse 1, it says that Jonathan loved him as himself. David has a new position, new status, and a covenant with the king's son. Things are looking good for David. There is a bright future for this young man. Jonathan isn't jealous. Matter of fact, in verse 4, it says that he not only gives him his robe, but his tunic and his sword and his belt. Whoa, he's accepted into the king's family. David enjoys success. In verse 5, it says, whatever he touches seems to turn to gold. God's hand is on him. The people love him. He becomes a captain of, of the king's army. His officers even like him. People everywhere knew of David's ability and his loyalty to King David. Matter of fact, it even says later in chapter 22, when David is running from that jealous madman, King Saul, Amalek the priest says to the king, who of all your servants is as loyal as David, the king's son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard and highly respected in your household? Everything looks great for him until the worship team and the ladies choir start singing. Such victory celebrations were normally led by women who would meet the party coming back. And, and they would go out with dancing and, and tambourines and, 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 and shouting and singing to welcome them back. Well, the problem? The problem is that Saul wants to be the object of worship and praise before the people here instead of giving the praise and honor to God. Anytime anyone steals the praise or credit that belongs to God, they're going to be very disappointed because God shares that limelight with no one. It also reveals that the focus is not a vertical one of honoring God, but a horizontal one of what others think of their performance. Well, how do you handle that? How do we handle that? What should we do when others do better than us? When they meet with success, for parents with small children, I know a lot about that. Matter of fact, just yesterday, I'm glad that Rachel kind of sneaked out so I can tell this story. And I was over at another store and Jennifer was at a, at a toy store with the kids and just kind of looking around. And, and as soon as I came in, Rachel came running up with this Barbie boat and she was so excited. Daddy, look what I found. And wow, it was neat. I mean, it had all little contraptions. And I, oh, wow, that was kind of actually impressive. So I actually, I said, hey, let me see it. I went and showed that to Jennifer. I said, hey, come on, look at this. And, and, uh, but I had no intentions of getting it. They didn't need it. They've got enough Barbie stuff. But uh, Jennifer said, you know, we haven't bought uh, anything for Chris's birthday that's coming up. Uh, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I guess, guess we could get that. So I said, hey, Rachel. Hey, come here. I said, uh, why, don't we, why don't we get this for Chris's birthday? That was a bad move. All of a sudden, she started crying. I'm like, what's wrong with you? I wasn't even going to get this thing. <laughs> and she said, but I found it first. And I'm like, whoa, okay. Uh, okay, think fast, Dad, think fast. <laughs> and I said, well, we, we can still get it, but let's get it for Chris's birthday. That way we, you know, have a reason to get it. And she said, but I found it first. <laughs> I said, well, I, I, I wasn't even, you know, logic doesn't work with six-year-olds. 
I said, well, I wasn't even going to get it, but, but now, you know, I thought maybe we'd get it for Chris's birthday. And he's like, why should she get it? <laughs> I said, well, hey, I got an idea. Rachel, why don't you give this toy to her and get it for her birthday? And yeah, we have a gift to give her. And then you can both play with it since you both play with your Barbies anyway. And I saw the wheels beginning to spin, and I'm like, okay, I might get out of this. <laughs> In the meantime, Jennifer's up there. Do I buy it? Do I not? And, and then she saw the negotiation going on, and, and then the change began to, to happen in Rachel, and she said, okay, but I'm not going to use my money, and I get to give it to her. Sounds like a plan to me. <laughs> That'll work. <laughs> Jennifer quietly took it out to the van. <laughs> it worked. Praise God. <laughs> but success sometimes is, you know, and, and seeing success in others uh, and being able to ce- celebrate others' success is sometimes difficult. Because what does it do? It takes the focus off of me and and I need to praise God for the good that he's doing in somebody else's life. And and especially it's very important to be able to celebrate those within our own family and with our own team. Killing Goliath was the easy part for David. Dealing with a jealous man who's willing and trying to kill him proves a far more daunting challenge for David. How we handle promotion and demotion reveals more about our character than almost anything else. When we are promoted, we may tend to get a bit cocky or proud. But when we are demoted, we may get angry and vindictive and criticize others for not valuing our contribution. It's hard for me to understand that the world doesn't revolve around me. It's very hard even more difficult for children. Well, what is God doing here? God is elevating David and cultivating him to be a shepherd and a leader of his people. David is that reluctant but zealous leader for has a passion for God. His journey to the throne, though, will be a very painful one. King Saul is an insecure leader that fails to trust God because he wants the approval of, of men. And his jealousy and insecurity will lead to his downfall. A word about jealousy. At its root, it is, it is a desire to put ourselves in the place of God. A jealous person wants to be worshipped by others. He or she wants to be the center of attention and cannot stand for the limelight to fall on another. A jealous person cannot celebrate in the victories of another. Since jealousy is self-centered and self-focused, it is a desire to control and manipulate others out of fear that that jealous person may lose his or her status as the favored one. It destroys our relationship with God and also with others. Fracturing relationships. But you see, it's only God that is worthy of worship and the only one who is able and has a right to be jealous. Matter of fact, Exodus chapter 20, verse 5 reminds us that God is a jealous God. To put ourselves or anything else in the place of God is idolatry, the ultimate in self worship. It is the first in the list of the Ten Commandments, as we see in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You should not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. 
punishing the children of the sin of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation to those who hate me, but showing love to those to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Now, did you hear that? Did you hear that passage? Anything we create that takes the place of God, the Lord God detests. Back to our story of David. What is the best way to prepare for kingship? It seems here that God decides to remove every crutch from him but himself. David cannot see his future. He only sees the pain of today. Like David, we need to be reminded not to be so focused on today. Otherwise, we will never see what God is doing and taking us where he's taking us in the future. There's a kingdom principle here to trust God for our future. Maybe you're familiar with Matthew 6, and 34. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And it says, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And we all say amen. So what am I to do? Big idea number two, as I see in verses 10 through 19, is we are to serve God faithfully. Wherever he has placed us, wherever he has placed me, I am to serve faithfully. The passage from Ephesians 6, 5 reminds us, it speaks, even though it refers to slaves and servants, and, and, and it is a good way to refer to employer employee today. As it looks at slaves and masters, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart. Just as you would obey Christ, obey them, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you. No, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever he does, whether he is a slave or free. It's an issue of the heart. I have this cartoon uh, far side up in my office and, and uh, I, I like far side and uh, there is this, this image that's down in hell and these two demons uh, are there to, to torment some man. And this one guy is just working away with his pick and he's just sweats coming off of him. He's working in the coal and, and you see he's just in torment. And there's another guy there. He's got a wheelbarrow and he's uh, just whistling away. And it's like he's happy. No sweat on him at all. And the two demons are talking to one another and one of them says, we're just not getting across to that guy, are we? I love it. That's the attitude to stay focused on the Lord. That's how you respond to jealousy is you respond to the Lord and keeping the focus on him, even when betrayed. Jonathan Edwards, that great preacher from the 17th century, said, resolved that all men should live for the glory of God. Resolved, second, that whether they do or not, I will. The strength of the Lord is what will give us the focus to stay the course. The Lord is my rock, Psalm 18:2, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Throughout David's ordeal, I am very impressed with his response. He doesn't take the access to the king. And his newfound status to his head. 
Saul is operating out of fear. Look at verse 12. He's afraid of David. Why? Because the Lord is with him. Look at verse 15. When Saul saw how successful David was, he was afraid of him. Therefore, Saul tries to manipulate and to control David. And that is what a jealous, fearful leader will do. Pride begins to set in. And they begin to think that they can control people, even God's own leaders. If fear and intimidation don't work, then then manipulation, maybe, or deception. I heard a story recently uh, about deception. Uh, these, this couple um, in this New York apartment, and they uh, they received these tickets in the mail. And it was to this New York Broadway. And they thought, wow, we would never be able to afford to go there on our own. Who sent these tickets? Where do they come from? Who was the anonymous person? Well, they didn't know, but they thought, well, hey, why not go? We wanted to see this performance anyway. And so they go off to see the performance and, and had a wonderful night, a wonderful time. And then when they get back, they walk into the apartment. It's been ransacked. All their electronic equipment is gone and all their jewels are gone and all the jewelry and everything's just turned upside down and missing. And except for this one note that is on the pillow and it says, now, you know. It's hard for us to be able to understand the intentions and, and, and minds of some people. When corrupt leaders say that everybody feels this way about you, don't believe it. All Judah loved David, it said in verse 16. He was their champion. How often our self-esteem and our drive can be shot down by someone with an ungodly agenda. Someone that is jealous or self-absorbed in the self. We are to release those hurtful words and those personal attacks to the Lord. If you have to receive the acceptance and the approval from everyone all the time, then you will go from one hurt to the next. Hold everything loosely except integrity. Serve your God with integrity. Position and status are fleeting. Recognition will come and go, but your name and your character make a lasting impression. The prize and the jackpot for slaying Goliath was to be a new life and a status in Israel. The king had said in 1 Samuel 17, 25, that he will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and exempt his father from taxes in Israel. Look at verses 17 and and night through 19 for Samuel. Saul said to David, here is my order. Here is my older daughter, Mariah. I will give her to you in marriage. Only serve me bravely and fight the battles of the Lord. For Saul said to himself, I will not raise a hand against him. Let the Philistines do that. But David said to Saul, who am I? And what is my family or my father's clan in Israel that I should become the father's son-in-law? So when the time came for Mariab, Saul's daughter, to give to David, she was given in marriage to Adriel of Meola. You see a plot of deception there. King Saul begins to change the rules. Here's my daughter. But the condition is that you have to only serve me bravely and fight the battles for the Lord. Hold on. No, he doesn't. King Saul had already made the rules. And now he changes them? David had won the contest. He had killed Goliath. And, and Saul, you now are changing the rules? This isn't right. It's not fair. 
But notice David's response. I admire this. The humility. Who am I? Who's my family? Whoa, he deserves a medal of honor. But instead, there's a plot of deception. But what a godly man. And, and he should be rewarded for that, right? But instead, Saul says, yeah, you're right. You're not that important. You're not really kingship material. You're just a shepherd boy. And he gives his daughter to Adriel of Miola. Now, who in the world is Adriel? What do you read about him in the text anymore? Why is Saul doing this? Because he wants David dead. Isn't it amazing how jealousy and self-centeredness can cause people to be so short-sighted? Saul thinks by getting rid of, his, rid of David, his competition, that somehow that's going to fare better for him and establish his leadership. What does he really need to do? He needs to repent. It's a problem of the heart. Yet God has already passed the mantle from King Saul to David. And the blessing is to follow. Big idea number three. Expect God to bless his faithful servants. Expect God to bless his faithful servants. Response to jealousy number three. Release every hidden agenda to the Lord. Don't worry about what others are doing. Trust in the sovereignty of God. Don't be anxious. Psalm 139, 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there is any offensive way in me. Know my anxious thoughts. Search me, O God, and know my heart. And test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to search us and search our own heart and test me. See what anxious thoughts I have and lift those up to the Lord. Is there anything in me? And Lord, lead me, guide me. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then what results? The peace of God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. King Saul had a plan. He was scheming. God had a greater plan. David responds with purity and humility of heart. The system around you may be corrupt. You may not like what's happening. You may be dealing with wicked people. You may be dealing with difficult circumstances. They may even be dishonest. But don't you go there. That's not where God wants you to go. There's no honor in that. God is not honored. When I was in Hong Kong, I had the privilege of leading this young man, Nick Tai, to the Lord. Nick Tai was a stockbroker, and he was a fast-paced, moving guy. And, and he worked for a big uh, investment corporation. And uh, we would often go out to lunch, and I often would see the stress on his face of all the things that he's trying to do in dealing with people's money. And, and I remember once he said, as we were having lunch, and he'd always like to go out to these really nice places that I could never afford. So, you know, thank goodness he picked up the dab. And uh, he said to me once, he said, Randy, I feel like I'm working just outside the gates of hell. With all the difficult challenges he would have and being so involved in the world. We are to be in it, but not of it. In the world, but not of it. 
wise to be shrewd about some matters, but never deceptive. Why? As we look at verses 27 to 30, it is God who brings the harvest. It is God who blesses and gives us success. The success and protection are with David because he is doing the will of God. Even Saul realized God's hand on David again and again. Look at verse 28. There's family tension. You probably wouldn't want to be at Saul's house for Thanksgiving or for any holiday. You might get a spear thrown at you. But what happens with David? He experiences more success and more success. There's an application for us here. We need to pray for our foe or for our situation specifically and submit all our plans to the Lord daily. My life verses Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge him in all your ways. He will make your path straight. I love the King James. And he will direct your paths. Well, crutches, they serve a purpose. Don't they? They can be of support. But what happens when God removes them? Our tendency may be to pick up the phone and talk to someone or run to someone. But the Lord wants us to be in a place of making him our refuge, our shield, our salvation, our stronghold. So the first thing we are to do is to pray their focus on the Lord, giving him the situation. The second is to look past our pain. And this is temporary. Trust God, the deliverer. He will deliver you. He is our rock. He is our fortress and deliverer. And third, we are to move in a godly direction. Don't stoop to a level of manipulation, and deception. Bless and do not curse. The scripture reminds us. Proverbs 3, 7 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Well, I hope that none of us are in a situation like David, where all the crutches are removed from our life and spears are aimed at us and thrown. But no matter what our situation, no matter what circumstance we face, we can be assured that God will guide us and he will protect us as we maintain our integrity as we seek to honor him. As Romans twelve fourteen reminds us, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. First Peter three, nine. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. That's what the Lord reminds us to do, because this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Evil for evil can pull back the blessing that God has for us. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of David. What a reminder for us to keep our focus on you. When we can't understand circumstances or situation around us, when we are dealing with difficult people, Lord God, may our heart be right. May you search us. 
May you know us. May you test our anxious thoughts. May we renew our heart and mind and our focus on you. Lord, no matter where we are, bring us to that place of being able to lay it all before you, even if it requires removing every crutch. And we'll give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.